Hey guys, Dane here with the Dark Room Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. In today's episode, I chat with Adam Senatori. Adam is a commercial photographer traveling around the world, shooting for some of the biggest brands you have heard of. And he also splits his time flying commercial airplanes, which we get into. And if you scroll on his feed, it is no shock that aerial photography is his jam. So we talk about how he started with that, how that has progressed over the years, starting in editorial and fashion and different types of photography that have led him to what he shoots and how he shoots today. Uh, We also get into some real stuff about Instagram and the current state of the platform and what it has been doing to some of these super successful early adopters to Instagram Uh, Adam included. He was one of the first users on Instagram. He was one of the first suggested users, and his followership is up to about 750,000 now. Um, But yeah, we talk about, you know, what's been happening with Instagram and, and how he's you know, take an action to, you know, kind of get over that hurdle and branch out into different platforms, which is super important for everybody anyways, to, uh, you know, not just rely on, on, you know, one platform, but kind of, you know, spread those, spread those branches out and get involved with everything. So yeah, I had a really, really great time chatting with Adam. I hope you guys get a lot out of this. I know I definitely did. So without further ado, here is a conversation with Adam Senatori. Welcome to the Dark Room Podcast, where you'll get to hear from the best full-time creators on the planet. From starting out to where they are now and everywhere in between. Welcome to the Dark Room. Adam Senatori, and I'm saying that right, right? Adam Senatori? Nailed it. Perfect, because my name, people like Dane Diener is a weird one. And uh, Senatory, <laughs> like, I, I, I knew it was Senatory, but you never know. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for, for chatting with me. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So uh, looking at, at your work, and especially like a, for a first-timer going through on Instagram, let's say, uh, it looks like you have a helicopter at your disposal 24-7. Uh, is that the reality, or are we looking at drone shots? Um, that is not the reality, but it's, um, I have, uh, let's just say I have an arsenal of aircraft to use. So not my personal aircraft, but I know people who have aircraft, whether they be Cessnas, like light single engine aircraft with doors that open or windows that open, um, in flight or helicopters or drones. So I kind of use whatever I can to get the shots that I've sort of like thought out in my head. Yeah. And so do you have, do you have a background with aerial experience like do you have aerial experience when it comes to just knowing either a how to fly a plane or just be like what to do when you get up there um both um i'm actually an airline pilot so i have been flying for i don't know i've been flying for about 25 years i've been a licensed pilot for 25 years so um yeah i mean i know kind of everything about aviation of course just through all that experience of flying but then i've sort of fused them together um with my creative background and i come from a very creative household i grew up in a creative household my dad was an art director my mom was an art teacher nice so when i put those two things together um it just sort of clicked and that's kind of like all i obsess about now yeah um 
Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I, I kind of just use, I think of like helicopters or aircraft or drones just as a tool to get, to get the view that I'm looking for, you know? So when you say that, that you have 25 years of experience, does that mean that you are currently still an airline pilot? I am. Is that, I am. Is that, is that the day to day? Is that what gets you traveling as much as you do right now? Exactly. Um, I would say, yeah, I mean, I travel upwards of 225 to 250 days a year. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm traveling all the time. I'm actually home right now, but I'm going to be gone later this week. And I, I usually travel four to five days a week yeah. all year round. So, and then I do, uh, like photo shoots in between. Yeah. Um, so if I have a block of days off from the airlines, then I'll go to Iceland or I'll go to LA or I'll go somewhere and do actual commission shoots. So I travel even more. Just the 250, 250 days a year is pretty much just committed to being an airline pilot. Yeah, which is, I mean, I feel like you adding on the commercial work as well is essentially like you doubling down on two full-time jobs. Uh, yes, and being <laughs> a parent. <laughs> yeah, and being a parent, so yeah. three full-time jobs. So when yes. uh, when did you, like, when was the very beginning of you either, like, just going to flight school or, or realizing that you wanted to to start flying planes? Yeah, I al almost always wanted to be a pilot. Uh, my son is seven, and I'm seeing him get interested in things, you know, not aviation, but, like, from that age, I pretty much wanted to be a pilot. Was completely obsessed with, like, space, space travel, going to the moon, yeah. uh, flying planes, all Anything that like freed me from the confines of, and you know, I went to college, and then I knew as soon as I finished college, I was going to go to flight school, and this was, you know, when I was eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old, and then finished flight school, and then um, got my first airline job back in right before um, in like the late nineteen nineties, yeah. um, like early two thousands, and then I flew as an airline pilot for seven years, and I lost my job. I got furloughed because my company went bankrupt, and oh, they, no. were, they were they were letting pilots go. Yeah, so that's where the creative thing came in, though, because at that point I was just passively into uh, photography and filmmaking, and then um, when I lost my job, I was really struggling with what to do. And my dad, being an art director, started kind of just feeding me a few freelance photography jobs, some other design jobs. And um, it kind of went from there. Uh, and I, it, I, I took 13 years off, basically, from the airlines. And I just recently went back about two years ago to the airline industry, um, mostly just to diversify my skill set. Yeah. And, get some more income coming in, like stable income benefits, all those things. So it was kind of a financial play for me to sort of just even out the ups and downs of freelance photography and, and content making, if you will. Yeah, so, for sure. What were those early freelance jobs like for you? Um, they were pretty interesting. I did everything from local AA, AAA baseball to fashion shoots, jewelry, food. Yeah. I pretty much did absolutely anything that I could eat either build my portfolio or make a little extra money. Um, so I kind of did it all. And I highly recommend everybody starting out to do the path that I took because I quickly winnowed out the things that I knew I did not want to do any longer. Right. Because I sort of did everything in the beginning because I had to. I didn't have a portfolio and I had a pretty limited kit and I had a pretty limited skill set. Yeah. Yeah. That's my story too. Like I feel like, you know, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am, which is realizing what I want to shoot and what type of branding shoots that I want to do now if I didn't right. do a wide array of shoots. And 
and, and just anything and saying yes to, to all the things that came my way. I feel like that's exactly. the best way to just figure out what you want to do, you know, because you'll never know like, what you do and don't want to shoot unless you shoot that's the right. stuff you don't like. That's right. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, you could also, it also helps you figure out your style too. So not yeah. just like what you want to do, but you start building, that's your foundation of, you know, kind of like what your sort of vision is and, and how you want to approach things. Yeah. So when did you, when did you start bringing a camera up into either the sky? I don't know if you started shooting out of helicopters or planes at any point, or if you started just shooting with drones and doing that first, what, what, what came first for aerial photography? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, when I lost my job as an airline pilot, I was, um, I'm, I'm also a flight instructor. So I teach people how to fly and I've been doing that forever for like 20 years, even longer. And when I lost my job, um, I still had all my licenses to fly small planes. So I was working out at a local flight school kind of on the side, teaching people how to fly. And as, um, sort of a, at a benefit of working at a flight school is you can rent the aircraft for pretty cheap. Yeah. Um, so on my downtime, I would just like go fly. And then this was when the first few iPhones came out. So I'm talking like 2000. Don't, I mean that I might be off in the days, but <laughs> yeah. I know Ballpark. it was like 2009 or 10, but I remember having like one of the very first iPhones and I had it with me and I was flying and I took a few photos out the window. And this is actually, this is probably about 2010 because this is when Instagram started. Yeah. I uploaded them to my Instagram account and I kept doing it. And I started getting a little bit more attention with my account and um, some more traction with what I was posting. And um, then it just sort of took off. I knew that I was on something different. Yeah. This was way, way before drones. This was I'm like, sure. Yeah. I mean, drones may have existed, but when I was starting to do aerials in 2010, there was no, they yeah. weren't at all a commercial level. Yeah. They were like the old computers back in the forties and fifties that were just yeah. so big and so expensive yeah. and you had to get your hands yeah. on them somehow. Yeah. Not as yeah, easy exactly. as now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, a couple times I actually like built this little rig and I put my iPhone on the outside of the aircraft so <laughs> get some different angles, like yeah. just crazy stuff that like no right. one would even do now. But uh, if you scroll all the way back, like way back to the beginning of my Instagram account, you'll see those very first photos and they're like of wind farms and like uh, just yeah. farm field, you know, I mean, so in this is 2010 when Instagram first started. So then it just sort of snowballed from there and they featured me in their blog. I was actually one of the very first, I think I was the first person to be featured on the Instagram blog. Oh, crazy. And yeah, they have a picture of me like in the Cessna with my headset on and doing my thing. And after that, it pretty much, I was like hooked. I had this, this thing click that, oh, I can fly planes and I can take photos. Like, yeah, two things you know what, how to do well. Exactly. Yeah. And it just went from there. And then I started getting bigger commercial jobs um, where I would be able to hire a helicopter and have pilots flying me around. And that's kind of just where I'm at now. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of people sit around and wonder what can make their work unique or how they can stand out. And like what you just said, you kind of just married two things that you were really good at and you, you liked a lot. And I feel like that's a way, right. that's a really good way to, to stand out because if you can do another thing that not everyone knows how to do or has the access to, you know, it doesn't have to be planes. It can be cars too. You know, it can be like being a mechanic as well on the side. There's just so many cool like avenues that you can wrap photography into that can make you stand out. Exactly. And I'll even give you another little side sort of story is one of my biggest clients over there has been General Electric. They make uh, the they have a big aviation division where they make the huge engines for like fighter jets and 
um, like 747s and 787s and yeah. really big planes. So they've sent me, you know, I've been, I've been working with them for a while and they sent me all over the world to shoot like their engines on these big aircraft. And it's night. I mean, from, for me, it's just, it's, it's so easy to do because I know the angles, I know the lighting, I know exactly how the aircraft works so I can put their product in a sensible place in the frame. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so for sure. Having all that background really plays into like being able to really pull off a shot that the client's looking for. Yeah. So I always tell everybody who's just starting out or, or even if they're kind of have lost their way, I'm like, okay, what are you good at? What do you know? And think outside the box. Yeah, because, for sure. You know, if you, if you're good at sculpting, you might be good at portraits or something else where shadows and detail work. So kind of just got to think about what your skills are and work with them. Yeah. Uh, so would you, I mean, would you say that, Instagram, like, you know, being as big as you are now, but also just seeing the trajectory happen when it did for you, did that fuel a lot of that uh, drive to to either keep it going or to just make it even bigger for yourself? Both. I mean, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it still does, even though, I mean, I've been on it for nine years. Um, Man. And yeah, I mean, my account is way past its prime, but it still drives me. I mean, I look at other accounts and it's crazy what people are doing now. And um, yeah, that fires me up all the time you know, to that, get out and shoot. What you, what you said is is interesting because I, I kind of want to talk about it for a second. I've seen some photographers bring this up uh, about you saying it. it's kind of past your prime. Um, mm-hmm. Like what, what is it that, I mean, other than let's say the algorithm, maybe that's the only answer, but like, what is it that has kind of changed the, the uh, amount of engagement for photographers like you, if that's what you're referring to is like the engagement and how much, mm-hmm. you know, you, you do now compared to what used to happen with Instagram. Like what, what is that change like? Um, it's, I guess from from a number standpoint, it's just the annual decrease, if you will, in just overall engagement and uh, reach is the term, I think. Uh, like, I mean, I'm getting a fraction of what I used to back in the day. And by back in the day, I mean like 2014, 2015. So like three or four years ago, I think my account probably peaked out. Yeah. And then, it, you know, if you if you just look, I mean, there's so many people on it now that there, I, I get it. I'm not at all um, sort of dismissive or bitter. Um, they need, I mean, Instagram and all these large social media platforms need to figure out how to prioritize photos and get photos in front of people that they think they should be in front of. Right. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes sense. And I always tell myself and anybody wants to listen, it's free. Yeah. I mean, what I got off this platform in nine years is amazing. I've made so much money. I've made so many clients, mm-hmm. so many friends, so many connections that like I'm not going to sit here and, and beat on it. But it's it, it's depressing in a way because yeah. I know it will never be um, what it was back in the day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's um, sort of one of the things that I'm trying to do with my YouTube and a little bit with my blog that I just started this year is trying to sort of um, – you know, kind of peel back the layers of social media a little bit and kind of expose the air, the, the, the errors that I have made over the years as far as relying too much on social media and pot committing to social media and not developing myself outside of Instagram. Yeah. 
So my, I got so intoxicated with Instagram that I really, you know, I was making so much money and had so many clients that I did not develop myself beyond that platform at all. And that's the reason I started my YouTube channel because, um, I wanted to, if anything, just do it for myself because I should have been doing YouTube 2014, 2015, not 2019, you know? Yeah. Um, it's but, tough though. You know, it's, it's hard to, to either a know what, what apps and what platforms are actually going to get picked up on the trend. Uh-huh. Uh, it's also tough to have the time to spread yourself out through those platforms. You know, some people can right. do it if you can do it full time. I mean, you have to be right. in a plane 250 days out of the year. I'm sure if you didn't have uh-huh. to do that, you could have time to put out daily vlogs and daily Instagram right. posts and be on Twitter nonstop. It's just tough. You right. kind of have to pick and choose, you know, your, uh-huh. your app battles. Absolutely. And you're exactly right. I mean, I'm doing what I can do with it um, as far as my time. But uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so circling back to your original question, it's reach. Reach is just going down. And it's not just for me. It's everybody. Um, I think if you look at most everybody's accounts, even the big, big accounts, like, you know, like huge accounts like the Kardashians and all that. I mean, just do some simple math. Just divide how many followers they have by the, by their engagement numbers. Yeah. And you're going to see it's Less probably like... Percent. Exactly. Yeah. And I do the same with every post I put up. I just divide it just to get a rough idea. And it's like, you know, my reach is like on an average post is like used to be about 110 to 120,000. And now it's down to wow. about 75 to 50. Yeah. So oh, if you divide that into 790,000, that's the reach is like, it's like it's three to 4%. Oh man. But, yeah. But what are you going to do? It's there's For so sure. many people. There's so many people that I can't expect all seven hundred ninety thousand followers to see what I post. Yeah, it's not going to happen. No, for sure. And well, what you said too about you know the the relationships that you've made at least when it was a good heyday, like those clients that I'm sure some have stuck around, some maybe haven't, but. Like, you know, from, from my experience too, like a lot of, a lot of the clients that I've met and made, you know, relationships with through Instagram, like they become recurring clients to the point that if Instagram fell off the map tomorrow, I would right. still have work. So it like, it, right. it is important too, to, to know that some of these relationships will, you know, blossom into, to helping you, you know, survive sure. as a freelancer in the, in the For future. Sure. But also too, that shows that like you can go knock on a door down the street at a, you know, at a, a retailer or a place that you want to shoot for, shake a hand. And, and like, that's, that's a good way to meet people too. And it's kind of showing now that, that maybe outside of Instagram, finding a way to, to reach out to clients, whether that's a postcard or just a handshake, like there's, a, there's work to be had out there too. There is, you know, one hundred percent. Yep. Um. So when it comes to the commercial work, that because I know you've worked with some super big clients, uh, mm-hmm. but but you had to start somewhere. Can you can you kind of talk about you know making that transition from working with small companies and small brands and and kind of how that feeds into the bigger the bigger brands over time? Yeah, I mean, I, I can take you back from the very beginning when I had no portfolio. I started. Please, with, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just scrapped together um, like an action portfolio. So shooting friends on mountain bikes and doing that like lifestyle action type stuff. Managed to get like 20 photos into a leather binder and went around to the local magazines and got a few freelance jobs and started working a little closer with those art directors and then um, built up to local companies and then branched out to uh state companies and then regional level so as i was 
starting to fine tune what I like to do. This is sort of pre-aerial. This is more of just uh, like travel photography. Yeah. Um, I started working for larger regional magazines, getting my name out there. And then about the same time is when I really started getting big on Instagram. And then I would be getting a lot of DM requests and interest that way. Mm-hmm. And that is was sort of the uh, high-octane fuel that launched my career is right around the 20. 12 yeah 2012 year is when i started getting big clients um like ge a lot of aircraft um, manufacturing companies airlines travel companies right you know and then it really i mean it just took off from 2012 and on it really it just it just took off when before before it got big and took off like in the beginning stages of of working with those companies how did you figure out a way to to either price your work or to just kind of you know, put, put freelance pricing in the back of your head. Cause I know a lot of people struggle with, you know, properly pricing themselves in the cities that they shoot in. Right. Um, since I was doing this, the type of photography I was doing was pretty heavily editorial. Yeah. Um, so it, it was easy to do, uh, Google searches and get some baseline ideas of editorial pricing. This was back when, you know, you'd still would price quarter pages and full pages and covers. It was easy to get those prices online. I mean, it still kind of is. It's yeah. not that difficult to, to get at least a framework. So for me, it was kind of easy to get ideas of prices. And a lot of times the editorial, they would just come back to me and be like, hey, um, we want you to do a full page cover or a double truck or a full bleed. Yeah. This is our budget. Go work with it. And I would, at that point, be like, fine, I'm in. I'm, I'll take whatever you have. Yeah. Um, so that's how it worked for me. It was a little, it was just some, some Google searching to get editorial prices. I never did like weddings. I never did any of that other kind of stuff. Right. What got really tricky was when I started getting bigger jobs with the bigger companies and bigger budgets. Okay. Um, because those numbers are much close, closer held. Um, a huge resource for me was a website called, um, a photo editor, all one word. Okay.com. And he, he is, his name is Rob Haggard and he used to be the photo editor at outside magazine. He started a blog and there is a whole bunch of invoices and estimates on there with a breakdown of how they came up with those numbers. Cool. Super helpful. Oh, I mean, I, that was, you know, I've been using, I still kind of check in on them every now and then, but I started using that website or that blog in like 2012 or 2014, 2015 to get ideas for the bigger budget things. Yeah. Yeah. And get my prices in line. And then I just season them from there. I season my prices from there, you know, up or down accordingly. But that website in particular helped me get beyond the fear that I had of asking for five figure and six figure numbers for, for a job. Right. Because when I first started encountering those big jobs with huge clients, it didn't seem right estimating five figures, you know, high five figure numbers for jobs. Right. It yeah, felt for weird sure. Yes. Yeah, all super different. The previous six years, I'd been doing, you know, editorial shoots for 1500 bucks, 1600 bucks, 2000 occasionally plus expenses. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I'm in the realms of twenty and thirty thousand dollar jobs. Yeah, and, and the weight it, the weight feels a lot heavier. Oh, you know, it's so heavy. Yeah, it's so heavy. I mean, it like gave me like sweaty palms when <laughs> you know yeah. they're like asking for an estimate. And I honestly, I'll give you another little story. I know we're running long on time here. No, you're good, man. I remember being. This is just when I was making the transition from 
local magazines and regional magazines to larger jobs with ad agencies. I remember being on a conference call with, I don't know, there must've been like five or six execs in the room and they wanted to, they wanted to kind of interview me for a pretty large job. Yeah. I remember they asked me my day rate and I like blurted something out. I had no clue what to even say. And I just remember like stifled laughs in the background. No way. Yeah. And I remember being absolutely mortified and that's kind of where I was like, okay, I am way, way, way too low for what I need to be. If I want to play in this, in this, in the major leagues, yeah, I got to work on my pricing. I have to have confidence and I have to have faith in my, my work and my craft. Because if these guys are calling me to ask me to interview me, obviously they look, they like something. Right. For sure. So, I mean, if they didn't, I won't be on the phone with them. So I need to spend time and get my pricing right. And, and, and I did. And from there, I, n- I never made the mistake. In fact, now I come in probably on the high side of things. Yeah, and I have a whole bunch of strategies for working down that is that is fair and transparent. But I tend to, from that point on, I've always come in higher, probably just to compensate from that one experience. But. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I feel like it's a double edged uh, double edge sword, right? Because because half mm-hmm. the time you kind of want to come in, even if it feels a, a bit high to say it and a, a bit high, and it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Like you want to also put on, you know, that confidence mm-hmm. that you know I can get this job done for you, and I, I may be more than you know the other people that that you're talking to or interviewing. Exactly. But, but it, it'll be worth it for you guys. And then there's the other side too, where a lot of photographers and myself included, like I, I'm still trying to break out of this mold, but sometimes I'm like, you know, I'd rather be a little bit more, you know, cost efficient for these brands because that means they might want to come back and work with me 100%. more. And it, it's hard to find that balance of, of, you mm-hmm. know, like how do you, how do you make yourself seem like you're, you know, as good as your work shows you are, but also, you know, you don't want to make people close doors right away because the price, it's tough. Yeah. And you can't, it's, it's difficult finding what the fair market is. You can't just go out and wedding photography. It's pretty, I mean, there, you can Google prices online and figure out what, I mean, you can kind of, you can get a ballpark with big multi-day or multi-week shoots on the other side of the world, things get complicated. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you don't want to come in completely high and lose it, and you don't want to have stifled laughs in the background because you came in so low. Yeah, exactly. Um, so and it just takes time. You're not going to figure that out. And, it, I mean, I've been doing this since 2009, let's say, and or even earlier, really, 2005, and it, I'm still fine-tuning things. Right now, I have it to the point where I can come up with an estimate, and it's pretty accurate. And if they don't like it, then that's fine because I know that my numbers were spot on. Um, but it's taken me what, 10, 12, 13 years to get to this point. When you're looking at a proposal or, or making one for a client, do you look at, at your hourly time more so than the actual project or are you all doing this project based? Project based. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the hours would be, I would be upside down so fast because I obsess. We all do. You do too, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, absolutely pour over all the details and the work and the files and everything has to be just perfect. Yeah. I mean, I would be up, I'd be completely upside down if it was that time. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's, that's something too. Like in the beginning I was like, Oh, hourly based. Cause a lot of times when you Google the pricing, like it comes up to like, this is the hourly rate you should be charging between this and that. If you can, Consider yourself a semi-professional. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff like that, so it's tough. And I'm I'm definitely transitioning into more of a project uh, a, a project rate, which is nice. But 
Real quick too, when you first started doing these gigs, I'm sure it was just you. Did you ever get to a point where you had an assistant or a second shooter and you had like more around you or do you still shoot just you um, with all these rates and all these jobs? Um, I would say pretty much 90% just me. Yeah. Um, if anything, it's because of time, speed and location. It's right. just, it's, it's super cost prohibitive. Um, especially the aerial stuff it it sometimes i'll take an assistant with me on aerial stuff because it is nice to have somebody to hold on to your gear if you're swapping out cameras rather yeah. than just putting on the seat um but like the travel stuff i mean it's my kit is so light i really don't need an assistant the only time i really use assistance if i need a digital tech like if we're doing like tethered stuff and i want somebody managing files and backing me up right but most of it is has always been by myself, which I like and I don't like because oftentimes I'm by myself for days on end and it gets pretty lonely out there. But yeah. um, I also just move, I feel like I can move so fast and get so much done. Like if I'm just on my own. Is it tough to choreograph these commercial gigs with how much you're on the road flying? Do they kind of have to, you know, realize what your schedule is and, and you'll tell them like, Hey, like I'll be here this date. Like maybe we can get something for you there. Is that how that workflow is? Kind of. Yeah. So I went back to the airlines about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, now the, the, the previous 13 years, that gap between the two airlines, you jobs, could shoot all the time. That was, your, time. yeah. Full, yeah. full time. Then, freelance. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. No, I went back. I knew it was going to be tough. So last year was kind of, was, was really tough because I, I actually, I had to let a bunch of jobs go because I could not get free from my obligations at the airlines. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that was super, it was so painful to like have these big jobs like presented to me. I'm like, ah, oh, I cannot do it. You know? Yeah. Um, but other than this year, I've had some success. I was able to get over to Iceland, uh, for like a week. And then I've done some other smaller things just in the United States that have worked out. Um, so hopefully, the more I do, the more seniority I get in the airlines, I'll be able to have more time off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So definitely. I'll, I'll be able to free up larger blocks. That's what I'm aiming for this year and going forward because creative is really important to me, like super important to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure that, that, you know, you'd, you'd go crazy if you didn't have that being another yes. part of your life, especially with all the travel and, you know, if you're yeah. in a hotel room waiting for a flight the next day, you want to go out and shoot in the city you are at sunset, right? Like which at I, the end of the day, yeah. you just want to do that, right? Which I will say I do. I bring all my gear with me. Yeah, so, that's so cool. Yeah, like if I'm in LA or Nashville or New York, I, I always have all my gear in my in my bag. So yeah. like if I have a 24-hour layover, um, I'll leverage Instagram. I'll do a search and find out who's shooting. And I'll DM them and be like, yo, um, let's go shoot tomorrow morning at some, you know, if you want to shoot, if you want to bring your drone, let's, let's go drone at sunrise yeah. tomorrow morning. So I do that all the time. I'll be doing it this weekend. I'll probably DM somebody and say, Hey, I'm here. Let's meet up. Yeah. You know? Dude. I love that, man. When I was, uh, when I was younger, I think in like 2012 to 14, when I, when I would travel, I was kind of afraid to bring my camera and just, you know, that whole like, ah, like, you know, I don't want it to get damaged or stolen or just all that BS yeah. that you tell yourself. And yeah, finally, I forget where I went. I think it. I think Nicaragua was the first trip that I went in uh, 2016, not even that long uh -huh. ago, where I actually like brought my camera with me on like a regular vacation. Like it wasn't a vacation to shoot or a, or a traveling, you know, gig yeah. or anything like that. It was just a vacation. And I finally brought the camera. Um, actually, no, I did that in Grand Canyon before. But anyways, I brought it there and I was like, man, like 
I don't care if this thing gets ripped out of my hands at a certain point. I mean, I do, but like, yeah. I want my gear to be with me all right. the time because you never know what you're going to run into. You never know nope. what kind of sunset you're going to capture or the right. conditions could be so perfect. And if you don't have the camera, that feeling is so much worse than any Regret. other. Right? Regret. Right? Yeah, man. So yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fan of now, like I bring my drone and I, I bring my camera like wherever yep. I go. Um, yep. So that's sweet. Uh, so when did when did video come into play with with your work? Um, I really honestly with Instagram stories, like I've always been in, obsessed with wanting to become like a filmmaker, but just got stuck doing not stuck, but just was doing so many commercial shoots that were strictly photo. Yeah, that I really never had the time or extra money to develop like a kit. Um, but when Instagram stories came along, I sort of really loved just shooting basic, quick little things. And I've kind of been doing that ever since. Um, and I don't know. I just love that. It's so difficult shooting video because, yeah, I mean, it's a totally different deal than shooting stills. You're you're kind of telling a story, yeah. you know. Um, well, so well, I would say, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, I really started getting into video. And now, because you say like you travel with your drone all the time, but it, it yeah. seems like your drone is used more as a camera. Is that right? It is. Yeah, it is. Um, just because, um, for the most part, I really just want to make sure if I'm only, if I only have like twenty minutes of good light. Yeah. Um, I really want to make sure that I get good solid stills because that is my core business. So I want to make sure that I have stuff for the portfolio or for social media or for whatever. And just getting those banger aerial shots to yeah. me is way more important. So I'm whenever, and like I said, if I'm in Nashville and the sun's up for 15 to 20 minutes, I want to make sure I get a number of good looks and then I might mess around with, with the, uh, with the video, but that's a great question. I need to start just focusing more on just getting the video aspect. Yeah. Well, see, I need to focus more on getting the photo aspect. I feel okay. like every time I send the drone up, you know, mm -hmm. my go-to is just video and I, I love it, but right. I have so much damn video sitting on my hard drives because I, I you know, I do it all the time and then I don't yeah. have time to edit the video to like right. nine months later, it seems like now. And, yeah. yeah. But if you do photo too, like, you know, I feel like you kind of shoot with more intent because you really mm -hmm. look for those certain spots or angles and like you set up the shot and I, like these, these days is, is primarily the work that you're doing commercially all aerial. Yeah, um, all aerial with uh, – I do some travel stuff as well. Yeah. Um, just travel and leisure type stuff. But, yeah, it's mostly aerial. I'll do um, any, anything from, honestly, like construction work to, like, uh, cityscapes for magazines. But it's, it's, the, it's the, the whole gamut, really. I mean, I don't get into the real estate or any of that kind of stuff. It's, it's all commercial sort of advertising work. Or, like I said, if it's – um, if a construction company needs, uh, aerial, aerial photos other than what they can get from satellites, I'll do that. Yeah. Nice man. So, uh, you, it seems like you are a man who has, even in your last video that I just watched the, uh, the last episode of your vlog, um, you, you kind of have these three, six, 12 month, at least like it seems, uh, these either not, not so much plans, but just, you know timelines for when you'd like to see things either work in a certain way and you can kind of, you know, change them up. Um, I'm a big fan of that too. I like to work on like yearly basis when it comes mm -hmm. to like doing things and seeing how it can work for a year and just committing no matter what weekly episodes of this or weekly episodes of that or daily things. Um, how, how, how big a part does that play in your life of, of trying to, you know, kind of regiment out your creativity? 
Oh, uh, it's a huge part, and and, uh, and I put them in there to save myself for myself because I tend to um, dump things like right away if I don't get what I if I don't get sort of the objective I'm looking for straight away. Yeah, and I, and I think I tend to um, change the sales a little too quickly, so uh-huh. I put the three six twelve in there to just give myself minimum amount of times before I change course. Yeah. And it can be small. I mean, it can even just be small. I'm not talking like big things like where I'm going to not do YouTube anymore because I'm not liking the metrics that I'm seeing after three months. I'm just saying, okay, I've got all the infrastructure here. I know how to do the edits. I know how to do all this stuff. It's just, I got to work on content. Um, and that, that particular episode I was looking, I was sort of referring to, you know, I might need to make a few adjustments one way or the other, you know, to make it either easier for me to make episodes more frequently or change the content just a little bit. Um, and then I'll make bigger changes at the year mark. Right. If you know what I'm saying. So if I'm doing this for a year, I got 52 episodes in and I'm still seeing the same things. Okay. Then that's enough data for me to say, I need to change up. I need to do something different. I've got a number of other like sort of directions that I want to go with YouTube or any other venture that I'm taking, but I just kind of keep those in my notebook and I'll won't visit them until I hit these different benchmarks. Does, does consistency over time ever play a part in it? Like, okay, like just to give some context, like if you're, if you're looking at the YouTube uh, channel and saying like, okay, like in six months, I wanted to hit this, you know, this mark. But does the other factor of longevity and, and being around for a couple years in the space before that first one goes viral, like does that ever play a part in it or is that too long for you? Do you want things to hit a little bit quicker just by how like instantly people can consume content now? If that I, makes sense. It, it does. And that's a great question. Um, I honestly don't put any I, – I consider going viral um, – kind of like hitting the lottery. So like, I don't, it's from like a financial standpoint with my personal business or my personal finances, I don't equate hitting any lottery into making my, like whether I want to remodel the house or buy a car, you know what I'm saying? That doesn't make it into my yearly budget. Yeah. So, and I view going viral the same way. It's kind of like hitting the lottery, especially now nowadays. Um, so that doesn't really factor in. I am looking for consistency and I'm looking for like gradual with well, YouTube is such a long play. You know, yeah, if you go definitely. back to the big guys now, Peter McKinnon and Casey, they've been doing this for yeah. years. Even Gary V, like Wine Library, yeah. like they started from the very oh my beginning. Yeah. God, Gary yeah. V, yeah. And like he's he, like he is my he's my <laughs> I love Gary V. Oh, and same. Yeah. He he goes, yeah, you go way back to beyond wine library, basically. And and um you know, he's just been grinding and grinding and that's what YouTube is. You're not going to get very few people get big overnight. And I know that going in, but what I am looking for is just incremental little bump ups. And, um, so far through three months, I haven't, I mean, I've seen like, it's, it's pretty, pretty flat to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. Yeah. Um, so I'm just constantly doing this mental math of like, I travel a lot. I'm doing all these other extra things. Like, and I've put a lot of time into the YouTube so far. Just doing one a week has been a lot of work. It's a ton of work doing one episode a week. Um, like conceiving it, shooting it, editing it, uploading and doing all that. Um, so I'm kind of always doing this, like this mental arithmetic of, is this worth it or not? And it is always in the back of your mind. Like, God, am I doing, is this worth all this effort? You know what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah. Well, it's tough too, because like you said, you know, there, there are the early adopters of these platforms that, you know, kind of 
blew up because they were so early into it and then the trend caught on and all that. So it's like, how do I jump into this noisy space and, and make it work? Go ahead. Look at, look at my account. I was the, on Instagram, I was the like 150,000th person. Yeah. Super early, super early. Super early. Within, I was in within like three months of the app launching. I got on. So I was kind of like the Gary V of YouTube. Like he got on when it just started. Right. Yeah. And then I ground through it. I'm still grinding through Instagram nine years later. Um, so it, now it would be like the equivalent of me starting Instagram back in January. For sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. So I think about that. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, it's so much work. And is it, you know, do I have nine more years of grinding through YouTube to possibly get my message across? So, you know, it is, it is what it is. I mean, I, there, there, the option is you can like Gary V says, what's, what's the option? Do nothing. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and what he says too is, is something I, I love to kind of live by is like being a reactive creative, right? Like where, you know, like, let's say like when Snapchat got big, right? Like I right. jumped into that right away to try to make it work. And like, I was doing all these ridiculous stories and bringing characters in, but like that, I just, I'm always like Snapchat's such a weird example because I'd never even use it anymore. But like, I just, I know now that all these new apps and these new platforms that are going to come, even in the next 10 years, you know, five years from now, it can be something that we have no idea about, but I want to be an early adopter in that one because I've seen what it can do and Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. You know, you don't, just because it's like you're a photographer, it doesn't mean that Instagram can only be the platform that, that you use, you know, like you can use Twitter, right? And if, if Twitter came out tomorrow, like jumping into that and figuring out a way to, to make that work for your own personal branding is Mm -hmm. key. You know, at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, like being a reactive creative has to be the way to do it. Right. Exactly. Yeah, man. Well, hey, what is in the near future or, or, you know, what's in the next, you know, year for, for Adam Senatori? Do you have any plans like that other, other than, you know, the trajectory that you've been on? Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly um, evolving and I'm, I'm actually completely retooling um, what wh- my creative endeavors and my portfolio and the things that I'm shooting. I've been so reliant on the aviation and um industry and industrial side of photography that i think um that's era is for me at least has sort of come to an end so i need to um i need to have a different product to sell and i'm really honestly starting from the beginning like just even the last couple months i'm assessing what my pro like what exactly am i selling why why am i selling it who wants to buy what i'm selling and i can't really answer my own question anymore because what i have been shooting over the last 13 years just it doesn't really exist anymore you yeah. know it doesn't it's either gone to cgi or they're in between product cycles where they don't they already have a full library from me and so on and so forth so a lot of these larger clients are just not really there anymore. So what I'm going to do is completely revamp things and look at what is popular now. What do ad agencies and companies need now and what will they need going forward? So I'm going to sort of take my current style and rework it into different things. I might get into shooting more portraits, more products. I don't know yet, but um, that's definitely what the rest of 2019 going into 2020 is going to look at. And then, um, honestly, I'm going to get off of, not get off of Instagram, but I'm going to get more into meeting with 
actual agencies and meeting people in person. Yeah, I dig that. Um, which is huge yeah. because um, sending emails and postcards does work and it is part of my formula, but I actually want to get out and meet people. And yeah. I can go anywhere in the country. So why am I not going into an ad agency in Nashville and saying, what's up? Here's right. my portfolio. You have five minutes. I'll buy you a coffee, that type of thing. So, yeah, you, you get to travel by plane when we have to travel by car. Right. <laughs> yeah. I dig that, man. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. a fan of that too. Like like getting out and, you know, like even even this podcast. Like this podcast came about because, you know, I met up with with the dudes that run Dark Room who, you know, mm-hmm. have a store where my prints are and like if that never happened, you know, like this wouldn't have happened. So like getting out, sure. meeting creators, meeting creatives that that you're a fan of and that that you like and would want to work with and also like the agency thing too, like working with ad agencies. Like I'm I'm a big fan and I'm I'm curious, you know, in my own uh, career about you know maybe potentially meeting with agencies and trying to to do something in that space as well because you never know you know what someone else helping you you know can can get you for sure yeah awesome right. man well dude thank you so much I appreciate it can you let people know uh, how how they can find you yeah um, Instagram it's at Adam Senatory A D A M S E N A T O R I I'm probably most active there. Um, YouTube, getting active on there, and same same handle, uh, my first and last name, and then my website, same first and last name. Awesome. Perfect, uh, that's dude. Pretty, pretty much it, man. Thank you so much. You're, you're the best. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Next time you're in L.A., uh, in LA just uh, you know, let us know. Love to grab coffee. Uh, 100%. Cool. Awesome, Adam. See, Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah, you. Yeah. See you. Bye. That'll do it, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening to that episode with Adam. Had a really good time chatting with him, and I hope you guys took a lot out of it or just had a good little sit-down conversation with us because uh, I definitely did. So thanks again, Adam. And you can check out uh, his work at Adam Senatori on Instagram. You can see his website, adamsenatori.com. You can see his YouTube stuffs at Adam Senatori on YouTube. That is the name. Just Google it and you guys will find stuff. You can find us at Darkroom on Instagram, darkroom.tech. If you want to sell some prints, you can find me at Dane Diener. And yeah. All right, you guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Let us know what you think about the podcast on iTunes, either stars or comments with words, whatever is easiest and most accessible to you. And yeah, all right, you guys, thank you so much for listening to these episodes and we will see you guys next week.